If you're looking for proven ways to take your fundraising results to the next level, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Intentional Fundraiser Podcast, hosted by Tammy Zonker. Tammy has trained and led thousands of nonprofit organizations to collectively raise more than a half billion dollars and is also recognized as one of America's top 20 fundraising experts. This is the podcast where Tammy equips and empowers amazing fundraising pros like you to transform your fundraising so you can transform the world. And now, let's hear from Tammy. Today, we're recording from the Nonprofit Storytelling Conference in gorgeous San Diego, where I'm talking with the amazing Cindy Wagman. Cindy is president at Cindy Wagman Consulting and co-host of the Confessions with Jess and Cindy podcast, where she dishes with nonprofit consultants on all the things. She provides coaching, consulting, and speaking to help nonprofit consultants shake off the shoulds, drop the nonprofit scarcity hangover, and find abundance in entrepreneurship. Cindy spent years in nonprofit organizations, small and large, and she always felt like she had to hide her ambitions working in the nonprofit sector. She felt ashamed that she wanted to do really good work for small nonprofits, but she also wanted a life of abundance for herself and her family. She didn't want to settle for one or the other. She wanted both, and she's not alone. And I say amen. Working for a nonprofit should not equate to taking a vow of poverty. Exactly. And I just got to a point where I was like, enough. Like, why are we teaching our sector that this is okay? And why do we believe that good work has to be inexpensive or exploitative? And so, yeah, I've been helping other people in the sector find that abundance. And it's such an amazing joy and honor that I get to hold. Oh, so amazing. And I'm honored that you're here to talk about it with us. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Cindy, you were the first person I heard talking about fractional fundraisers as a staffing solution. Could you start by telling us what is a fractional fundraiser and why is it gaining popularity in the sector? So Fractional executives, I would say, is this sort of emerging trend that didn't start in the sector. I saw it first with small businesses that wanted to bring on people to their team at high level or high capacity, but with a lower budget. And so small businesses would find fractional marketing, CMOs, fractional CFOs, people who could come in kind of like a team member without being on staff and who bridged the gap between the strategic oversight of someone with all that experience and some of the day-to-day implementation, which is what we actually need to get the job done. And so that was emerging at the same time my business, which used to be called The Good Partnership, we used to do, we called it Done For You fundraising. So we would come into organizations and we would manage their fundraising program as a consultant, but again, bringing that strategic oversight with the day-to-day implementation. I used to call it from strategy to stuffing envelopes because <laughs> literally we would stuff some envelopes. So we were doing the work and then I saw this term emerging for it. And I was like, oh, we're doing fractional fundraising. So there are, as I said, all kinds of fractional executives But really with fundraising, you know, each fractional fundraiser, their 
an independent consultant. There are some firms that do this as well. And they work with organizations on a long-term basis to, again, combine the strategy and implementation that is necessary to grow their fundraising. Amazing. Yeah. And I'm just curious, too, as an entrepreneur myself, it was a big leap to go from done-for-you fundraising into like really just consulting with consultants. Yes. So it seems like a big leap, but it took me uh, a while and I didn't do it uh, quickly. So what I mean is we were doing a lot of this work in-house and I was struggling with how to grow and scale because we were actually getting too many organizations wanting help and I didn't have enough capacity in my business. So I said, okay, how do I serve these organizations. I have a really hard time saying no to good causes. <laughs> so I really wanted to help them. I wanted to grow my business. And then I discovered that actually I could also help fundraisers become fractional fundraisers and start their own businesses and find that abundance in entrepreneurship. So I created a program called the Fractional Fundraiser Academy. And now I teach people kind of like a business in a box, like how to start your fractional fundraising business. And everything's been stress tested over many years of us doing the work. So I was doing that. So that's already like removing me one step from working directly with organizations. Now I was just helping other fundraisers. And at the time, I was becoming a certified coach. And my goal with the coaching was to work with reluctant fundraisers. People who in our sector, which there are many people who are reluctant fundraisers, help them overcome the mindset. But what I realized when I was doing the coaching certification, that wait, other nonprofit consultants need this as well. And so very slowly, I started to build programs and services to serve those consultants. And it really grew quite organically. But then this past year, I took what I think is the biggest and scariest step of stepping away from the things that I was leaving behind. So I had those. They were safe and secure. And then this year, finally just stepped away from it. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. So if some of our listeners, if they want to explore potentially becoming a fractional fundraiser, what kind of qualities, what kind of experience mm -hmm. do they need? And then the second part is... Do they typically make the 100% leap into fractional fundraising and entrepreneurship? Or do you see some that perhaps kind of take on fractional fundraising as a side hustle with some stipulations, like there's no overlap in donors and the, the ethical pieces yeah, of it? Yeah. So I would say the people who make the best fractional fundraisers are ones who they do want to be an entrepreneur consultant. It's not for you if you have no interest in that whatsoever. But even if you aren't sure you want to be a consultant, it is a, a slightly safer model of going out and building your business. And so it does fit people who are a little more risk averse than typical entrepreneurship. I believe that it is for generalists, for people who are very comfortable doing a little bit of all types of fundraising. So we always say we don't prescribe fundraising to organizations until we're in there and doing the plan and getting to know the organization. So you have to be comfortable saying, okay, well, 
you know, based on my analysis, this organization needs to focus on corporate and an annual campaign or sponsorship and grant writing or legacy giving. We all know there's tons of types of fundraising. You have to be comfortable with all of them. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean you have to be an expert in all of them. You just have to be like a few steps ahead of your clients and know where to find the right answers. Yeah. And it's great for people who want more time flexibility. Typically, you're making more money than you would in-house unless you're like very senior in organizations. I like to say 10 years of experience is a good starting point. But I've made some exceptions for people if they have really hands-on experience. And you have to want to do some of the day-to-day work, right? You like mentioned you, stuffing envelopes. Yeah. Right? It's not all glamorous it's as we not, know. No, there are lots of amazing consultants who do things like give advice or coach people. And those are critical. But that's not what fractional is. Fractional is coming in. And getting like taking the work off the plates of the people who are in the organization and overwhelmed and just don't have capacity. So it's a very specific type of serving organizations. So you have to be comfortable with that. Yeah. The second part of that question is do most fractional fundraisers, oh, yes, you know, emerging yeah. entrepreneurs, do they make the leap or do they approach it as a side hustle yeah. to get started? So I have some people who are already consultants and they're struggling with that revenue roller coaster that we all know, where it's highs and lows and unpredictable and they want some retainer-based clients. But I also have people come who are working full-time and usually I say, like, find your first client while you're in your job. And then if you want to, and some people can, will do it as a side hustle, but most people really do want to leave their jobs, which is a whole other conversation. And so once you get that first client and you have that revenue, give notice when you get your second client. So you're going to work a little harder for a little while, but also make more money. And then you will have, once you get your second client, you have enough stability to be able to leave your job. So obviously it's a range and people are all over the place. Some people Like I have one person who just wanted to work with one client because she wanted time for her family and they have a couple of Airbnb properties and she was like, I need to manage those. So everyone has their own goals. And that's what I like about this model and entrepreneurship generally is that we get to decide, right? We get to decide how busy we are, how much we're making, what organizations we want to work with. And those that we don't. Uh, yes, yes, those that we don't. Because there are some organizations that are not mission aligned with our own values. I think we've all worked in organizations that we've, we've worked with toxic people. And you get to say no to that. And that is very empowering in our sector where we're traditionally taught to just sacrifice ourselves at the service of the greater good. Yeah. Can you share some real-life examples of how fractional fundraising has positively impacted small nonprofits, both in terms of the um, amount of money they were able to raise, but also their other goals, whether it's donor retention or whatever they may be? Yeah. So there's so many amazing ones. The network started in Toronto, which is where I am. Now we are international. So we have fractional fundraisers in Canada, in the U.S., and a couple in Africa which is pretty cool. Very cool. (laughs) So the organizations I know best are the ones that are local to me. So 
One is called Business in the Streets, and they hired their fractional fundraiser, Laura. Uh, and within the first year, they raised $100,000 more on a $350,000 annual budget. Wow. That's profound for yes. them. Yeah, that is significant. And so for them, and that was just in the first year, and I often say to organizations, like the first 12 months is your foundation setting. So you might not see that much of an ROI, but to see that significant growth is just amazing. We worked with another organization. Now, this is exceptional, so I don't want to paint this as like what you can expect. But they were actually like a $250,000 organization, and we were able to get them grants to the tune of about $800,000. So that was just like game changing for them. But also working with organizations, there's one called Vibe Arts, and they've been working with their fractional fundraiser for probably over three years now, maybe even longer. And I don't even know what their stats are, but I just know that the executive director is like, great. I don't have to think about fundraising anymore. Mm. You know, like this is just something I don't have to worry about. Yeah. A huge uh, weight yeah. off their shoulders. Yeah. Especially most executive directors don't know fundraising and it's really hard to do something you're not trained in. So there's the benefit of just letting people work in their zone of genius and doing the work that they love to do. And the retention, I mean, we were working with one organization I think their ROI on fundraising went from about 150% to 500% ROI. Incredible. Yeah, or like 5x. So pretty significant. And I will say, you know, again, it's not going to be for every single organization. These are organizations that are ready to fundraise. Usually they have some fundraising in place, but have met their capacity to do the work in-house, but don't have a huge budget to hire that director of development position that might be their goal one day, but it's just not attainable right now. Sure. Yeah. You know, and even if they do have budget, there is a shortage of oh great fundraising God. professionals. There's such a shortage. I hear this from organizations all the time. There was one organization in Vancouver, and they had their job posted for a year. Mm. And so when I introduced them to one of our fractional fundraisers, they were over the moon. They're like, this exists? This is fantastic. So, yeah, it's a really hard market to find fundraising help right now. Yeah. Yeah. So this can be a stopgap measure. Yeah. And then even when you fill a position, you may, again, because you're growing, because there is a quantifiable return on investment, you may keep that fractional fundraiser in addition to the staff position you filled. Exactly. I would say a large number of the clients do continue working with fractional fundraisers well beyond a year because it's working. At some point, yeah, the capacity of the organization outgrows that part-time position. But for the most part, yeah, it's a great longish term solution. Yeah, love it. So how do nonprofits typically find the right fractional fundraising consultant to work with? And just any tips you can give. Yeah. So here's what I'll say is organizations often don't really know what they need. If you're in the position where this sounds like really appealing, I've talked to hundreds of small organizations in the last eight years as a consultant, and they often misdiagnose their fundraising needs. And so that makes it hard to find the right consultant to work with because I hear people say, we really need to do corporate. So I want to find someone who has experience doing corporate fundraising. And then we get in there and it's like corporate's not on the list. 
we really need someone who can do annual and grants or something like that. So what I would say is finding someone who feels like a good fit mission alignment, I think, is one of those things that you can screen for more effectively. And sometimes people like people who are geographically local to them, but that's not always the case. So people can come to thegoodpartnership.com and there's a button that says find a fractional fundraiser. And if they fill in the form, I do some matchmaking. So I help them based on what their organization is, again, their history with fundraising, and who in our network is available. But at the end of the day, the best fundraisers are ones who are curious and excited about the work. And they have some track record, but organizations don't do a great job of understanding that track record. So that's also why I have that resource available where you can come to us because I work with these people. I've vetted them. I know that they're good and they're kind of certified in our network. So I trust them and their ability to serve the organizations well. Fantastic. And we'll certainly include a link yes. to your site and that questionnaire mm -hmm. in the show notes. Do you find that some organizations bring on a fractional fundraiser simply to do the assessment? To yes. determine what do we need, and then they may or may not be the one exactly. that moves that forward. Yeah, so definitely most of our fractional fundraisers will do a fundraising plan, that assessment, as a one-off service if that's desired by an organization. And sometimes the recommendation is work with a fractional fundraiser, and sometimes it's not. It might be higher, it might be not higher, and do things uh, with the resources you have. So that is absolutely a service. I will say, anytime you do one-off things, it's going to be more expensive than when you work with someone over the long term. So sometimes organizations are surprised by how affordable it is to include that in the ongoing fractional fundraising work because it's a lot more expensive to find people to just do that one thing. Yeah, this is true. That's true. Some of the examples that you've given, Cindy are organizations that have a smaller budget mm -hmm. that they were able to grow significantly thanks to implementing this approach. What is the ideal budget size or staff size? Like, What are some of the criteria for folks who would be more likely to be successful with a fractional fundraiser? Yeah. So don't often look at budget because budget can be skewed a lot based on government support, especially because in Canada, it's significant, right, how much government funding we get. So what I like to tell organizations is if you are thinking about or if you've had high turnover with a fundraising position, like if you have that one fundraiser, like one fundraising position that you're thinking about hiring or have hired in the past and don't have anyone in it right now, that's kind of ideal I like to think of it as that bridging that gap between not having anyone doing the work and having like a director level position. Then the other circumstance I've seen work well is in an organization where there might be someone very junior doing some of the fundraising, like without that much experience, and they're good doing some of the day-to-day -day work, but they lack the strategy. A fractional fundraiser can come in, bring that strategy piece take some of the implementation and also work with the person in-house. So sometimes we'll see a small team, but I would say where I see organizations, where I see the stress 
be removed the most for, from an executive director is just saying like, we have nothing and now we have someone and I don't have to worry about that. Yeah. And they can use me perhaps strategically mm-hmm. with an individual major donor exactly. or a relationship that needs to be strengthened. Exactly. You talk about the ideal fractional fundraiser for most organizations is a generalist. Mm-hmm. I envision how effective and extraordinary this could be in the grant writing. Yes. In the annual fund, maybe the event planning and analysis, storytelling, anything where you're doing creative writing, direct mail, direct response, website, social, on and on. Talk to me about major gift work because this fractional fundraiser Mm -hmm. may have a couple of clients in any given region or community. So how does that work? Yeah, I, I ran a capital campaign as myself being a fractional fundraiser. And I had donors who I was working with that would give to more than one organization I was involved with as a consultant. So it's actually not uncommon. And I'm always very open and transparent about how I work with organizations. So donors understand that I am a consultant. And I would never, even if I were in-house, I wouldn't build those relationships in the absence of someone else in the organization. So executive director or someone in programming, like really for the long-term benefit of the organization, I just said this morning in my speech, like involve the other staff in building those relationships. Because once a fundraiser leaves, you want that relationship to be established within the organization. Yeah. So that's true of fundraisers in-house and it's true of fractionals. And we have had organizations that kind of, quote unquote, share donors, and it's never been an issue. But we always are clear with organizations, the relationships belong to the organizations. So I would never recommend hiring a fractional fundraiser or any fundraiser if you expect them to bring your, quote unquote, Rolodex, right? I remember having my Rolodex back in the days. They're not bringing their contacts. No fundraiser should be. And so that's... It's an ethical issue. Exactly. So I would never expect a fundraiser to come in and bring those contacts. And similarly, they're not walking away with them. They're not going to say, oh, you give here. You should also check out my other client. That would be an ethical issue that I would not be okay. Yeah. So what I'm hearing in in your response is integrity, transparency, recognizing that our role, whether we're on staff or a fractional fundraiser, is to be the conduit between the mission and people who share those values. Beautiful. So we know nonprofits have limited resources. How does fractional fundraising help them control costs while still accessing expertise that they need to raise funds effectively? You did talk about like the level of expertise, Mm -hmm. the years of experience that fractional fundraisers can bring to an organization is something they probably presently in their circumstances today, couldn't afford, couldn't make it happen. Yeah. Or if you can't afford that expertise, you're spending all your budget on the expertise and none on the implementation, which is not going to move the needle, right? So you want that expertise and you want the implementation and neither should eat up all of your budget. Now, I can only speak to how I train fractional fundraisers uh, and we're very open and transparent about pricing because 
working with nonprofits, no one likes sticker shock. I can't stand where when you hide prices or like don't make that information available. So I teach people to charge around four to five thousand a month for 12 month contracts to work with a fractional fundraiser. So that is actually designed to be anchored in the expectations of a full-time salary of someone without that much experience. So again, it's a cost you probably are thinking about you have budget for, but you can reallocate it to really get that expertise with the implementation. And what I like about the monthly retainer, so we don't track hours or anything like that because these people with all this experience are highly efficient. They're going to get the work done and in a fraction of the time. So we don't want to penalize them for being efficient and good. So organizations don't need to worry about timesheets or tracking time or fluctuations in the cost. Every month it's the same. There's no surprises. There's no random things added. I mean, obviously, if there's printing and things like that's a cost to the organization, but you're not adding time or expenses of that person's time at any point. But it also means, you know, people take holidays. So one month you might get more of someone's time and one month you might get less or they might work mostly out of one place and travel and work remotely at other times. And so you just have to understand that the process is a little bit more fluid, but from a budgeting perspective, it's actually really consistent and it's really easy to manage as an organization. It's very predictable. That's so insightful. And I suspect what's really important is understanding those terms and having those conversations on the front end. Yes. Like you may not see me every day. You will, you you will not see me every day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. You won't see me every day. I might not respond to emails every day. Um, one of the things we just were talking about this, because in my network, we have uh, office hours every week. And so this just came up with like, how do we manage our time as fractionals? And it's hard because I always say we like to meet our clients where they are. So some clients like condensed work and they get things done quickly and some aren't always available. So it's a balance of how do I work efficiently to get the work done, which is what you're paying me to do, right? At the end of the day, you're paying me to get the work done. And oftentimes that doesn't mean responding to emails, right? That's not usually moving the needle. But also understanding how our clients work and how they like information and how to get sign off and approval. I used to have when we were still doing this in-house, I had a client that Basically, if we weren't with her face to face, it was like we didn't exist. <laughs> she didn't respond to emails. She didn't read things that we asked her to read or approve. So I knew in our biweekly meetings, I would print out all the things that I needed her to look at and give her time to read them and edit and then sign off. So everyone has a different style of working and most fractional fundraisers are going to be pretty flexible to meet the way the organization works. Mm -hmm. I know every organization is different. And as you said at the top of our conversation, every fractional fundraiser is different. Mm -hmm. Some want less work. Some want to be working, air quotes, full time. Yeah. Um, what is typical? Like if someone is very devoted to working the equivalent of what would be a full time job. Yeah. And again, clients vary. But what's the capacity? Yeah. So what we've stress tested yes. is 
about three clients. So if you want to be working full time, I do have a number of fundraisers in our network who have three clients, but then might take on some other project-based work, like maybe a campaign or a fundraising plan here or there. But for the most part, full-time is like three three clients. Okay. Yeah. All right. So could you share some tips on how to ensure a successful partnership between the nonprofit and the fractional fundraising consultant? And like, what are some of those key elements? So we talked about transparency, communication, level setting. What else? Okay. The number one, number one, you're bringing on an expert intentionally trust their expertise. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. very, I mean, I often tell the stories of in my first fundraising job. So like back in the day, Cindy, and I used to get pulled in so many directions because everyone around me thought they knew about more about fundraising than I did, which was totally false. None of them knew anything about fundraising. And so I didn't have the experience to be able to say no and refocus people on the things that work. When you bring in a fractional, it's easy because they do the day-to-day implementation. It's easy to sort of look at them as just extra hands or someone you can delegate to, but they're bringing the expertise. So treat them as the expert. And when they tell you something based on their expertise, give it a try. Like we're sitting here in this amazing conference. One of the examples I love to share is, you know, we... We're hearing from people like the folks at Agents of Good about direct appeal and testing. It's clear four-page letters do better, right? When I learned that many years ago, like almost 20 years ago, and I brought that back to my organization and I wrote a four-page letter and I brought it to chair of the fundraising committee, she took her red pen and crossed out all the stories and crossed out all the good things mm. and said, this needs to be a page and a half. And we still see that kind of thinking. I don't, I, it's too long. I don't like it. So if you have a fractional fundraiser and they tell you to do four pages, yeah, trust if they them. tell you to include the stories, tr- that's what you're paying for. And it's going to get you the results. I have seen organizations that push back and then they just don't get the results. And that's on them. Yeah. Oh, it's heartbreaking when it that happens. You're like, oh my goodness, you have this gift in front of you. And then you're sabotaging it. But we know people sometimes sabotage fundraising efforts unintentionally. Yeah, unintentionally. Yeah. With the best thinking in mind, whether, again, it could be an executive director or a board member who they mean well, but they're thinking, we don't want to pay for the extra paper for yeah. each. Yeah. Three and four. Or they think, I don't want to read that lo- that much. Not yeah. knowing that actually it doesn't matter what you want to read or what you like. And actually most people don't read it anyways. But for some reason, it consistently performs better. Yeah. Right? And there's so, testing. Yeah. There's lots of evidence of that. So that is really, I mean, I think this is not unique to working with fractional fundraisers. I think a lot of fundraisers in-house experience this kind of pushback. And it's such a shame because it's our missions at risk. Yeah, indeed. So what do you see as the future of fractional fundraising? Are there trends or innovations that are already beginning to get on your radar? What do you think? It's still very much emerging. I would say that a lot of people still don't know what this is. And so 
part of my mission is to help reach more organizations that they can see fractional fundraising or other fractional executives as a really meaningful option to expand their capacity to do the work without the challenges of hiring when there are there's just no one to hire or there's not the right person to hire. So I think we're still very early on. More and more people are starting to pay attention. For fundraisers, I see more and more people looking at consulting. I think people are kind of done with the self-sacrifice that comes with working in-house. They want to make more money. They want more flexibility. So more and more people are looking to become fractional fundraisers or other executives. And I think it's a win for organizations, too. I think they just, for many organizations, can do so much more with their resources with this kind of fractional executive model. Yeah, I think it's brilliant. Any, I want to, don't go, because I want to, like, ask you (laughs) about your talks that you've given here at the conference. But any last advice for a nonprofit who's intrigued? Maybe they're even sitting on the fence. What are the next steps? What advice do you give them? Yeah, I've always believed in sharing my time. And so I've transferred that to our network of fractional fundraisers. There's no cost to have a conversation with someone and learn more. And there's no pressure. I actually train people on their sales process. And I train people to tell organizations if it's not right for them. We know working in the nonprofit space, decisions take time. And so the way I train people around like sales is intentionally looking at this is right or if it's not right, it's, you know, here's another resource or here's something, a podcast episode you could check out or a book you can read. So there's really no pressure to just have conversations and explore it and learn more because it's funny. One of the conversations I was having around ChatGPT this week, ChatGPT is not that helpful to me because it doesn't know what fractional fundraising is. Oh, there's not enough There's not enough history and data <laughs> yeah. on it. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, it is new. And so it takes time and it takes a shift in the way we think about our work. And that's fine. And I've had organizations take over a year to get to the point where they're like, oh, yes, I'm ready. So there's no pressure, but it's a great opportunity. And like I said, whether it's fractional fundraisers or other fractional executives, the goal is to help you do more with the resources that you have. So just reach out. If you go to my website, thegoodpartnership.com or find a fractionalfundraiser.com, we have, you can either fill out a form and I'll match you with someone or you can browse our network and see who might be a good fit. Awesome. Thank you. My pleasure. Yeah. All right. So you gave two talks here at the Nonprofit yes. Storytelling Conference. And one, I mean, whenever you speak, I want to go hear you talk. Oh, thank you. Yes. So brilliant and just so compassionate and empathetic. You. Cindy, one of them was about you're worth it, like knowing your yes. worth. Yeah. So intrigued by this. T- tell us about yes. it. Yes. Okay. So this one, how I came up with this model I tried to actually break that down and build that into this presentation. So the idea is our brains are actually designed to think of decisions as binary. We can do A or we can do B. 
And usually both of them involve some significant sacrifice, right? So I can work in the nonprofit sector or I can work in the for-profit sector. One, I'm sacrificing, and I'm using air quotes here, money, but mission, and, you know, vice versa. And so we're trained to see things this way, where there's always a significant compromise or sacrifice. And it doesn't have to be that way. And so I give a number of examples of what finding what I call your secret answer C. So it's not A, it's not B. C is kind of a, a blending of the best of both into a new solution. And I walk through examples and give people a framework on how to find that secret answer C. But the way I came up with fractional fundraisers and my business model is exactly through that process. It's also how I became a consultant in the first place. I had one job. I was offered another job. But neither of them were perfect. And so I was able to come up with this alternative. And that's how I launched my business. I said, okay, I'll do this second job as a consultant. I made more money working for them three days a week than I was working full-time in-house. And I was able to spend more time with my kids. My younger son was like six months old at the time. Uh, so I was able to create for myself this life where I get to have an impact. I get to work with small organizations, which is, you know, always what I wanted to do. Now I get to work with consultants, which is even better. But as we look at our decisions, I think we can step out of that binary and find things that better serve us, better serve our clients, and hopefully better serve the world. Beautiful. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. And thanks for being here and talking about fractional fundraising. It is truly my pleasure. I love talking about this. I think there's, as I said, the more people know about it, the better, because if it helps just one of your listeners, like that's a win. Yeah. Yeah. So generous. So if you've enjoyed today's conversation and the insights that Cindy has shared with us and you want to learn more, check out the links and the resources we've included in the show notes. Now, at the end of each episode, we have a tradition of asking some rapid fire questions just to provide a little more insight. So you're smiling. I'm, you're I'm game. You're game. What's the best fundraising advice you've ever received? Be curious. Mm. Curiosity is the driver of good fundraising. Yeah, so good. What's your favorite book and that you would recommend to our audience and why? So the one book I always recommend to people who have to do fundraising writing is the, I think it's called the Nonprofit Communicator's Guide to, oh my goodness, what is it, Jerry? Jerry Panis? Panis, yeah. It was on the bookshelves here. Anyways, that book, I'm sure you'll find a link with the proper title. We will, we'll find is it. Is one that I always recommend. If you ever have to do design, obviously John Lepp's book is fantastic. Creative deviations. Yeah. And Rhea Wong's Get That Money, Honey. <laughs> if you have to do major gifts, Rhea is phenomenal. I mean, there's so many good ones. It's so hard to choose, but those are my top three, I think. Yeah, it's good. And they cover different areas. Yeah. And I think the reason it's hard to remember Jerry's book is because it's he really wrote long. like 22 books. Yeah. And this one is a really long title. Yeah. 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 So we'll include links, of course, in the show notes to all of those. What's your favorite fundraising application or tool? Okay. None of them. 
So here's like digital tool or however you want. I mean, okay, I interpret that as digital tool. And here's what why I say none of them is your tools are only as good as how you use them. And every organization has different needs. And at the end of the day, we all interact with technology differently. And what works for me might be very different than what works for you. So, for example, I like to like dabble in building websites for myself. So all my websites I've built myself. I know people who swear by WordPress. Okay, this is like in their mind, the absolute best website builder. I'm allergic to WordPress. I cannot for the life of me use it. And I can use technology, but give me Squarespace or Wix and I got a website up in, you know, half a day. So at the end of the day, a tool is only as good as how you use it. And we all use things very differently. Great answer. Unique answer too. (laughs) How about this one? What's your favorite fundraising conference or conference and why? Okay, I have two, and they both happen to be around this time of year. So this is my first time at Nonprofit Storytelling. It's phenomenal. The community is exceptional. I also just attended Accelerate, which is a Toronto-based one, and it's very focused on social justice and doing things a little bit differently and challenging some of the sector norms. They also have exceptional, diverse speakers and voices that don't usually have the stage or that are you know, not the sort of tried and true speakers. And it was amazing. And I am so grateful to those organizers for creating a really unique and different space. Yeah. I'm, I am have to go Google this now yes. and get some of those speakers onto the yes. podcast. Yes. Mm. Last question. Knowing what you know now about fundraising, what advice would you give your younger self just getting started in the profession? Oh, I don't have advice for baby Cindy. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I've so my story is that I actually decided to be a fundraiser. I wrote a thesis in university on feminist fundraising. So I came into this work with intention and wanting to learn all the things about fundraising. If I didn't have that, I'd say just go out and learn from all these amazing people because there's so much knowledge and wisdom in our sector. But I was hungry for that. I sought it out. I still love all of that. So, And I found community quickly. So what advice? I don't have any advice because I feel like I had a really great career and journey and it was I wouldn't change anything about it yeah I love that right even the mistakes that we make we learn we grow and they make us who we are exactly I love that Cindy thank you again for joining us it is my pleasure if you want to learn more about Cindy her amazing work her podcast more about fractional fundraising and how she can help you shake off your shoulds drop the scarcity mindset from the nonprofit sector and find abundance in entrepreneurship We've included links to all of it in the show notes. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Intentional Fundraiser podcast. Keep on transforming your fundraising so you can transform the world. Yay! The Intentional Fundraiser podcast is a fundraising transformed original. It's hosted by me, Tammy Zonker, founder and president of Fundraising Transformed, where we help equip and empower fundraisers, nonprofit leaders, and board members to transform their fundraising so they can transform the world. 
visit fundraisingtransform.com slash podcast to subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to my newsletter to get fundraising lessons, tools, and helpful resources delivered straight to your inbox each month. If you want my help with taking your fundraising to the next level, become a member of my Fundraising Transformers community as a growth member and join me live each month where I'll teach you the same strategies I use to lead, train, and coach thousands of nonprofits, social service organizations, healthcare foundations, private schools, colleges, and universities to collectively raise more than a half billion dollars including a single gift of $27.1 million. As a member, you can participate in my Ask Me Anything sessions every month and get answers to your burning questions. Chat with other growth members inside our private and safe online community about what you're working on, struggling with, and share lessons learned. And get instant access to my growing library of on-demand self-paced training classes. New content is added every single month. Learn more about becoming a member at fundraisingtransform.com slash growth. Talk soon.